0: Friends and listeners, this is our last show of the year. Hi, Jim. Hi, Toby.
1: Hello, Bob. Hello, Toby. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another edition of, in fact, our last edition of Point and Click Radio of 2021. This is the biweekly computer show um, here on KZYX, the place where we answer your computer questions and bring you the latest computer and Internet news.
0: And by the way, Jim, I'm so glad you email that regularly, religiously email that Zoom link to the station because yes. it's been so long since I've done a live show here that the um, the history of the Zoom can. Usually I just do the pop down and it does goes back to one of the recent uh, sessions, you know, and I just go click, click and we're on. But Uh, I had to actually go dig up that email in the midst of everything else.
1: Well, for new listeners, um, Bob uh, and Jim used to do the show together in the broadcast complex in Metropolitan Philo, California. Um, Since, oh, about March of 2020, um, we began doing the show remotely. Um, Bob from the Tzyx satellite studio in Ukiah. Jim from home with a very nice microphone and audio interface. And on a regular basis, we are also joined by Toby Molina of the Point and Click Research Desk for a little segment that we call the tip of the week and we're going to get to that in just a minute but this is our year end show where we uh what did you call it bob the year in reboot the year in
0: reboot yes with oh, credit right. to harry shearer who calls his shows uh at the end of the year the year in rebuke and everybody else cnn and fox and everybody calls it the year in review but we're going to be we're going to reboot 2021 i think oh. we may have to now jim have you signed your um your end user agreement for 2022 are you, are they going to let you?
1: I haven't finished reading through it yet. <sighs> <laughs> There's a lot to go through in there.
0: Yeah, I, I don't don't bother to read the privacy statement. It'll just make you upset. It'll
1: only, it'll only make you mad. <laughs> yeah. So in these year end shows, we um we, we we highlight very quickly um because obviously a lot happens in the tech world, especially these days. Um, A lot of what um, took place in that year, and we're going to talk about kind of a bucket of topics today. We'll start by talking about the tech itself, the hardware, the software, what was new, what was faster and newer and cheaper. Um, Then we'll talk about the impact that all of this had on us, especially in these pandemic times. We'll talk about how all of this helped the big get bigger it was a very good year for a lot of tech companies, and although that has some shareholders happy, um, it also raises some alarm bells with legislatures and legislators and regulators. And then finally, we'll uh, we'll look at the perils of tech that we saw in the last year, from security and hacking threats to ransomware to privacy wars to the. to to the siloing of society that a lot of Internet services help to foster, the fact that everybody just kind of hangs out with people who have similar views and what kinds of things that led to, including, up to and including, um, that event that took place at the U.S. Capitol last January 6th. So, obviously, that's a lot to talk about, and we're not going to spend more than a half a minute on each one um, as we work through all of this tonight. Um, But, first of all, we want to start with our tip of the week segment from Toby Bellina at the Point and Click Research Desk. Um, this is a timely topic because we are just wrapping up the holiday shopping season. And these days, especially in these pandemic days, a lot of that takes place online. And we all, we all do it. We all enjoy the convenience of it. We all enjoy the selection. We all enjoy the fact that we don't have to go into a, into a, into into a store where people might not be wearing their masks. Um, but there's also, of course, a downside, not only to local businesses, but, um, but to the environment. And I think that's going to be a big focus on, uh, tonight's tip of the week. Um, Toby, welcome once again to Point and Click Radio and, um, talk to us about the perils of, returns I guess is really kind of what it all boils down to. Good evening gentlemen. A couple
2: months ago the Atlantic did a superb article on what happens to the stuff you order online after you send it back and um, uh, I've done a a lot of reading and a lot of looking into this subject and it is disturbing (laughs) to say the least and I'll offer this quote from the article which really sort of uh, gives you a concise take on the on the longer article, which is, we can dispense now with a common myth of modern shopping. The stuff you return probably isn't restocked and sent back out to another hopeful owner. Uh, yeah. So estimates vary, but in the past year, one third to one half of all clothing bought in the United States came from the internet Um, more shopping of almost every type um, is shifting online each year and of course that trend was accelerated substantially by months of pandemic restrictions and supply chain shortages Um, the average brick and mortar has a return rate in the single digit in the single digits But online, the average return rate is somewhere between 15 and 30%. Wow. Very high. Yeah. And for clothing, it can be uh, much higher because um, of something that's called bracketing, which is a common practice of ordering a size up and a size down from the size you think you need. uh, Bracket. So that you've ordered three of the same pair of pants. Um, you figure you'll try them on one will suit you and the other turn two you'll send back and and retailers frequently actively encourage this is not something that you you know you, you figure out and you're on the slide uh, retailers actively encourage the practice in order to help com- customers feel confident wow. in purchasing online um,
0: well well bracketing it, is something you normally do in a store you grab three pairs of pants you go in the dressing room you try them all on and pick the one that's closest to your real size
2: Right, or you ask your pal who's with you, like, hey, <laughs> this isn't quite make right. my... Can you get me one size down, please? One <laughs> yeah. size up. Right. Um, at the very least, a lot of retailers now offer free shipping, free returns, frequent discount codes, sure. um, all of which are to promote more buying. And last year... Uh, U.S. retailers took back more than $100 billion in merchandise sold
0: online. Oh, my God.
1: So all of that stuff <laughs> that we sent back, though, it gets put right back into the shelves, and then somebody else who brackets the next week gets that same pair of pants? And yet,
2: not so much.
1: Not so much. Uh,
2: retailers have taught uh, shoppers to behave in ways that are bad for basically everybody, mm. and uh, and particularly for the environment. Um so the retail logistics industry is split into two halves. One is forward logistics, which is you order something, um, your postal worker brings it to your house. Forward, um, forward logistics.
1: Somebody at Amazon it, stuffs it in a box and it gets right. through down done those ramps with little wheels on them and it ends up at your house.
2: <laughs> the other half, which is called reverse logistics, isn't at all straightforward, hmm. and that's really the science that these huge, you know, large and small retailers really haven't sorted out just yet. So the process of getting unwanted items back from consumers and figuring out what to do with them um, is time and labor intensive and frequently, from my reading, kind of gross.
1: Um, what do you mean?
2: <laughs> um, well, because about 5 to 10% of returns are fraud. Someone saying they're returning, you know, XYZ thing, but what's actually in the box is a, you know, a dead racket, rat, two bricks. Yeah. Um, apparently, some of the, the discoveries opening up these return boxes are pretty disgusting. Mm.
0: Um, it sounds pretty uh, unsanitary.
2: Precisely. They just don't know what they're going to find when they open some of these boxes. So workers are sorting facilities, open boxes, try to determine whether the thing in front of them is what's on the packing list. To discern the differences between the various, you know, car parts sold in on Amazon or you know, the zillion black polyester dresses available for order at H and M. Oh my yeah. Um, they also need to figure out whether it's been used or worn, if it works, is it clean? Um, and are any of its components economically or physically salvageable.
1: Right. Um, so in a lot of cases, many, I imagine sorry, I imagine on a lot ahead. of cases it's kind of not worth literally not worth the labor and expense for a retailer to do all of that stuff and put something back into right. the back into the system. So what are they so what happens to the stuff? Well
2: brick and mortar stores in the past have been able to sort of circumvent um, the issue of restock. It's simple. The thing you bought comes back to the store, it looks like it's in good shape, it gets restocked, end sure. of story. But in mail-in products, even those that come frequently, those that come back in pristine, unused condition. Um, because you ordered two sizes of the same bra and the first one you tried on fit fine, the odds that things returned to a sorting facility will simply be transferred to that business's inventory aren't great. And mm. In some cases, they're virtually zero. Um, some things such as beauty products, underwear, bathing suits are destroyed for sanitary reasons, even if they appear to be entirely unopened or unused.
0: I can so- t- I can tell you something that can never go back on the shelf. Harmonicas. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't matter how perfect it looks they can they just have to you know i can, i get so that.
2: perfectly good stuff thrown away in these it gets thrown away in these facilities all the time simply because the financial math of doing anything else doesn't work they're too ex- inexpensive to be worth the effort you know which is you know fast fashion you know inexpensive you know cheap clothes um and
1: uh so this probably amounts to like tons of
0: stuff megatons. yeah
1: (laughs) and i think you you were talking before the show that um in a lot of cases you know you would think that like well okay well they they can be charitable then they can donate it or they can ship it you know overseas to you know to a needy organization or or
2: frequently a lot of these these items are sold by the container load by the thousands of pounds Um, outside the country but even if something survives the initial return and gets sold again let's say in bulk out of the country or or returned let's say you know a pallet of socks that didn't move at walmart gets returned to the wholesaler or the brand company even if they survive that first return they may get sold out of the country a container goes you know elsewhere and half of it upon uh entry you know examination into this new um, sales stream might get thrown out before the rest of it ends up back on shelves somewhere else or um, a company the sock manufacturer gets back their two pallets of socks from Walmart they may just decide it just goes right in the trash heap there's just no frequently there's also a concern um, in these companies that hey they're not really getting the bump you'd think they would from seeming charitable to, to donate a lot of clothes they just don't care that much and if they're giving things away it possibly devalues the product to the consumer if they're giving them away for free okay. it makes it seem like why are they paying full price for them
1: dilutes the brand correct yeah exactly. well um, no, i mean there's a the, i mean if you follow like the one pair of socks that might be you know made offshore shipped in a container ship here to some distribution center you order it a brown truck delivers to your house you decide you don't like it a brown truck takes it back it gets sent back to another country overseas in a a container (laughs) and then might get thrown away that is that is sobering
0: so aside from the sheer tonnage and the raw materials and the wasted labor what is the effect on global warming, of the yeah. energy used to ship and produce and and the electrons used to order and return and all that stuff? I mean that's, and the
2: amount of refuse that all of this is creating. yeah you know, mountains and mountains and mountains of garbage. Um, you know, but it, I think it's easy for any of us to to think, well, I'll just return it that everybody takes things back so easily. It must mean that they have some sort of restocking um, algorithm. They know how this works. They take it back. But the fact is you need to consider that it's entirely likely that that thing that you're returning is getting thrown away.
0: Well, it sounds like, especially in the case of clothing, I mean, maybe things like electronics where you didn't break the seal or something, they might be able to restock. Well,
2: frequently they will take those and part them out, even if they are brand new. Ah, Because there are issues with the rest, because rest- restocking has a, there's a, there's a uh, actuarial table isn't correct, but there's, there's math involved there. Sure. So what it actually costs to figure out what it is, where it goes. Sometimes they'll just strip everything for parts. Um, yeah. And so the actual, um, you know, the, the, the computer, the whatever, um, You know, go to return to Best Buy, but they don't actually resell it as is. Um, So there's a lot of labor there, and there's a lot of likely waste and likely waste of of of, um, possibly um, dangerous materials. Sure, you know because uh, of the whole um, electronics uh, stream.
0: You know, Toby, Um, I I started noticing a long time ago, and it, it, it never really I never really gave it much thought, but all the Stuff ordered online would come in the box, and there would be something in there with your invoice that was becoming more and more like a uh, um, a reminder or an advertisement for actually returning the product. You know, the return label that comes in with the original purchase. Right. It used to be right. you have to go online, get an RMA, you know, either print or write out a label, write the RMA, the return my- merchandise authorization. But now it's like it's almost pre-authorized when it arrives on your doorstep.
2: And that's an excellent observation because they are teaching us mm-hmm. these poor habits to increase our chances of ordering. Because their end game is not concerned about what we're going to do with the stuff. They just want us to keep ordering. The easier it can make, the more accessible. Uh, it, 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 it behooves us to shop online rather than to drive somewhere and go to a store. This is so easy, I don't even have to stand up. Um, you know just order three different sizes
1: more environmentally friendly by not having to get into our cars not taking into account all the fossil fuels that have to be burned as the alternative to getting into a car i think really the local business
2: i think the bottom line here is thoughtfulness you know is being thoughtful about purchases being thoughtful about your return taking an extra beat deciding do you need something if you're planning to buy three different sizes with the end game of returning to realize what that likely means for the two items that you're returning
0: or if you should return Um, all three of them
1: (laughs) well yeah yeah
2: well what's interesting is that when surveyed about their preferences big majorities of americans under 40 say they'd, they'd happily pay more to patronize businesses that aren't wasteful or harmful to the environment Yep. but that's the right answer when another human asks you whether you care about the future of the planet receipts tell a very different story so far sure.
0: you know i have a Those feeling same
2: shoppers do a far larger portion of the shopping online than older counterparts yeah. and they're also more likely to place big orders buying items in multiple sizes and colors with the intention of sending some back um
0: yeah and
2: that's the, the slick thing about online shopping so much of it takes place in the same manner as these returns in the privacy of your own home no human interaction sure. or judgment required.
1: <laughs> I think probably the most uh, uh, simplest takeaway or the simplest thing we can all try to kind of put into effect is not to bracket when we shop. You know, um, to, Don't place an order knowing full well when you say, when you click that buy it now button, fully knowing that you're going to repl- uh, return half or two-thirds of that order. Because um, that's just that's that's just volunteering to waste right from the get-go. Yeah. You buy something that you know online that's broken or that just doesn't fit, and that's the only size that you ordered, and you have to return it. Well, that's one thing. But to to willfully say I'm going to order multiple sizes and colors of something and send everything except the one that fits and that I like back, that's particularly egregious that's just wrong
0: i I see about the thing about brand dilution too if you just I mean if if people are ordering three pairs of pants sending two of them back and the company's just giving them away to people uh, right. you know and you say oh well where'd you get that oh you know it was free <laughs> or uh, something I got it at my local well,
1: I, thrift shop and you know that's but I don't want to be too finger pointy
2: at the shoppers because we know told
1: yeah
0: No, I don't want to be finger-pointing
2: at all at the shoppers. You know, I I think it's important that we know what the reality of the situation is and that maybe we can tailor, you know, shopping on... You know, listen, we're all stuck to one degree or or another right now. You know, different degrees of comfort with going into a store or what the rules are in different places. You know, it's it's complicated. Um, It is. I know that what I do now is I know what sizes I am for particular brands that I like. And so I know when I order... They're going to fit because I know that with, you know, these, you know, jeans, I fit this, you know, this size. And so well, I know I'm not going to return them. But it takes right. a while to get there if you're shopping online. So I think the idea is just to be a little bit of more aware of how the reverse logistics work.
1: How broken for, it is. For how
2: buying. Up, yeah, is. How broken it is and how very much we've been kind of, quote, unquote, no pun intended, sold a bill of goods yeah, as nice. to how this works it makes they make returning so simple that we don't realize that in fact
1: um it's simple because they're throwing this stuff out they're just burying (laughs) stuff in a landfill you know it
0: just stuns me that yet one other aspect of the of e-commerce and the benefits of the internet have this dark dark underbelly like so many other things you know
2: i mean it's not exactly a surprise but,
0: well, it's more yeah. of a surprise than I expected. I think yeah. I think our listeners to the show and KZyx in general are very sensitive yeah. about things like waste okay. and and you know and the uh, the uh, environmental cost of any kinds of transactions or, or mm-hmm. material goods or anything like that. But it's surprising to me. I'm gonna I'm gonna be. Much I think more it's careful.
2: just important to know. Yeah. So whatever your decisions may be, whatever your personal decisions are uh, may be, it's important to know how this really works and so that you are uh, thoughtful, whatever your choices are, about yeah. how you are going to interact with shopping online because it's only going to increase. Um, and hopefully this return logistics um, uh, chain will become more efficient and it won't be a situation where it, there's just... You know, there's going to be more science around it, um, and so it won't be quite so wasteful. I'm sure the companies, just as much as anybody, would like this not to just be a giant, um, you know, wasteful sinkhole. Oh, um, sure. Anyway, this, I'm going to leave you to it. I don't want to. I don't want you to cut you um, off from your year-end roundup. See, great,
1: <laughs> well, it's a, it's a great article. The article is called "Unhappy Returns." Oh yes. It ran in the Atlantic Monthly Magazine in the November uh, 2020 21 issue um if you go to the search engine of your choice and just search for atlantic returns real easy you know it's atlantic interesting the, the, r- the article, article the that i hit. found
2: was called the nasty logistics of returning your two small plants
1: <laughs> yes yeah in the print article it was called uh on yeah returns
2: but it's a terrific it's a terrific article and will probably lead uh, lead you to doing some more interesting reading because there's a lot of it out there because it's sort of something that's becoming a bit of a talking point these days appropriately oh, right. around now when we're all returning things
1: well the uh yeah. toby uh, with the point and click thank you toby thank that was you an thank enlightening you stuff totally happy new year yeah happy Almost. new year bye
0: that was totally an enlightening well i'm going to go back not just over this year but i'm going to quickly go back 25 years ago um and just this month 25 i think it was this month maybe it was the end of last month i don't know it's been a while but um 25 years ago apple bought next and that was the beginning of the modern um mac operating system they had had their own apple operating system on the mac remember OS 9 I think that was the last one the and last
1: of the pre-OS X S- Steve yeah.
0: Jobs famously wheeled a coffin on stage at Macworld with a, <laughs> a, a uh, burying the Mac OS because the next operating system that Steve Jobs developed when he had the next computer company after he had been let go from Apple came back to be the base of the uh, the, the Unix-based system we now call Mac OS OS X or ten—it was, it was properly called. A
1: variation of which became the um, the operating systems in the iPhones and the and in the iPads.
0: Absolutely, uh, uh, Yeah, all that. Yeah, that's really interesting. That was twenty. It's been twenty-five years.
1: Wow. So we should. And that us. brings us to here on this is, by the way, Point and Click Radio, the bi-weekly computer show with Bob Lawton and yours truly, Jim Hyde. Bringing you our year-end roundup after that really interesting segment on the the vile, <laughs> nasty logistics of returning your two small pants, um, and. As I said at the start of the show, we're just going to breeze through a lot of these things because each one is a subject of a show in itself. And indeed, we did a lot of shows on these subjects uh, throughout the year. Um, but let's start with the tech itself—the stuff that you buy, the stuff that you install, the stuff that has bugs in it, the stuff that breaks when you drop it. Um, in the operating system world, of course, there were two big updates that came this year um, for for desktop and laptop computers. One was Windows 11 from Microsoft, and from Ma- from Apple there was mac os monterey the latest california themed operating system for the uh, laptop and desktop Macs. yeah and of course also from apple came new operating systems for the iphones and the ipads
0: now jim isn't the isn't the um mac operating system no longer 10 they finally raised it up to 12 i think Monterey is OS I think so. 12 yeah, point I mean, something. Apple doesn't
1: even use the X or 10 or anything anymore. It's no, just, that's it's, all gone. It's, it's, it's Mac OS plus some scenic place in California after that. Exactly. <laughs> Whether it's Big Sur. I'm waiting for Mendocino. I'm looking for Mac OS. Oh, <laughs> wouldn't Mendocino. that be great? You know, you know they're going to do it.
0: They're going to have to. In fact, we should, we should start Booneville. lobbying them for it.
1: <laughs> Mac OS Boonville. <laughs> Now, I would upgrade to that immediately.
0: Immediately, yes.
1: (laughs) And then, of course, you know, those operating systems, obviously, they have to run on hardware. And there was big news this year in the Apple world with the further rise of Apple Silicon. Apple transitioning away from the Intel chips that have, for the last large number of years, been at the heart of Apple um, desktop and laptop machines. And moving toward a chip of Apple's own design, the uh, based on the, the um, chips that are used in iPhones and iPads. Um, these new Apple Silicon chips um, originally came out. The M1 chip came out in 2020. Yes. But yes. in 2021, um, a couple of newer generations, newer, faster generations, um, appeared. Um, one in a new... Um, iMac, a very nice-looking iMac, and the other in the new MacBook Pro, the new uh, larger, high-end um, laptop from
0: Apple. Are you sure about the iMac? I think that's just the straight M1, the 24-inch. I don't think they've come up with it. A...
1: Uh, you might be right. You might be um,
0: right they had the M1 Pro and the M1 Max, which is even more Pro than the Pro, and... I think it m- might only be in the 14 inch and the 16 inch laptops. I, I don't, cause I think I would have a, a new Mac, iMac on my desk right now if they did have the, the <laughs> faster nice. one, cause I'm waiting for the more souped up uh, iMac. Um, yeah. but, uh, maybe it was, was it the Mac mini that they put the, the, the faster one in? Cause I know they haven't updated the Mac Pro, the big honking, you know the one they use for editing hollywood movies and stuff like that but right. anyway they have come out with two new versions of yeah, you're right the m1
1: the it's the, the the new iMac is the m1 not the yeah. I, um, higher end
0: and those uh, the, the, those all came out uh well they started like oh no it was the the, the 13 inch laptops came out with the M1 and the Mac mini, the little one that you use your, you know, you bring your own monitor and keyboard that had the M1. And then in the spring, they brought in the, out the iMac, I think. And then just this fall, this is part of the re- year in reboot <laughs> in 2021 fall, they came out with the, the super processors. But, um, the thing, I think the M1 and the Apple Silicon might be the most shining brightly shining star in the good news part of the the tech news for for this past year because if you remember Jim Steve Jobs always le- said like to say we like to make the whole widget right. um, and that was referring to the hardware and the software meaning everything was really well integrated at an operating level but back then he was talking about Still buying third party components that they sourced to meet their standards. So you have memory from one supplier, hard drives from another supplier, you know, um, all the other components. What they've been able to do is put everything on one chip. The video memory, the RAM operating memory, the, uh, silicon's, uh, solid state drive storage all on one chip. Everything baked into one wafer. And that really is making the whole widget because they're completely in control of everything that goes on inside that box that you buy. And it's just an amazing revolution.
1: And what this has really led to are two things. One is because these chips are based on chips that were originally designed for smartphones, for the iPhone and the iPad. Um, and therefore needed to be very efficient and give great battery life. This has meant incredible, ridiculous battery life on the Apple laptops that have these Apple silicon chips. Um, and then the other is just kind of ridiculously fast performance. By being able to put all of that stuff in one physical package rather than forcing those bits to race around on a circuit board and having everything just be performance-tuned to work together uh, in a way that you can't do when you put a chip from company A together with memory from company B and graphics hardware from company C. Um, These computers are kind of ridiculously fast. And, you know, for those of us who... Do mostly email and web surfing that's really not that big a deal but for people who do digital photography um and video editing and desktop page layout and things like that that kind of performance is just it's it's fantastic so basically this year was the year that apple silicon really started to make a greater impact through that apple product line and apple is claiming that the transition from intel to apple silicon will be complete in 2022 wow really interesting to see what um what the next 12 months bring
0: that will really be interesting because they still do sell um intel based hardware the 27-inch iMac, you can still get that yeah. with Intel. The Mac yeah. Pro, you can still get that with 28 cores of Xeon processors or whatever it is. And they're still perfectly good machines, you know. I wouldn't turn yeah. one away if somebody gave it to me, but mm-hmm. the uh, what's coming and down honestly, the pipe? The
1: iMac that I'm using right now, it's a 2017 iMac. It's a few years old.
0: Yeah,
1: It's four years old, and I do video editing and Photoshop and oh, all yeah. of that on it, too. I mean, these machines have great long lifespans. Um, they but, do. Um, you know, the industry is always growing especially again and this is kind of starting to lead to our kind of topic uh category um the computer industry has done really well this last year and a half or so because of the rise of people working at home and people going to school at home and telemedicine and all of those kinds of activities that require fast computers and things like video conferencing and things like that so um
0: yeah, I really want to see the graph on how many households now have dual monitors on their office desk, you know? <laughs> like it would just be, you know, cause I'm sure that's what's going on. You know, if your, if your uh, company lets you work from home full time because of the pandemic, you're going to have a full setup at home, just like you had at the office. Cause your company policy says you can't take home company equipment to your residence, you know, unless it's a laptop maybe or something like that. Yeah. Oh the other thing uh you mentioned the uh battery life um the um the processors run uh they don't heat up as much they run a lot cooler too so right. another more um side benefits of those integrated uh uh processors like Apple has with the Apple silicon is that you don't need to have honking big uh wind tunnel fans in your computers anymore too they've done amazing stuff with that
1: Yeah yeah and then, lastly, in this category of the stuff that breaks and the stuff that you buy, um, the, the other big news, of course, is always a new year always brings a new generation of smartphones, um, whether they're iPhones um, or uh, Google um, Android phones, and as always they're always a little bit faster or a lot faster uh, or the, maybe they have a little more storage or a lot more storage um or nicer brighter screens but the big thing that you always see and we definitely saw this last year is better cameras wow. um because people are you know you it's not a good time to be in the digital camera market standalone digital cameras especially like compact point and shoot type digital cameras because People are carrying them around in their pockets, and they also make phone calls and let you read the newspaper. So the, the cameras in smartphones and in tablets have gotten ridiculously good, and that only continued again this past year.
0: That's interesting. It's funny. I heard a show where a guy was talking about traveling around, oh, oh, in Eastern Europe and places like that. This guy is like a professional traveler. He just goes everywhere. And he says he always buys himself a big honking digital SLR and straps it around his neck just to get people started talking about things, you know. He says his iPhone takes much better pictures, but he likes to go around with that as a conversation piece. It's really interesting. That's funny. Yeah. Um speaking about smartphones, I have a really fast tip. I don't want to go into this too with too much detail. Uh, you can probably find this stuff online, but one of the things that's driving people crazy is the autocorrect feature in uh, especially in iPhones. Oh yeah. And it's gotten worse. It's uh it's actually started using machine learning and crowdsourcing correction data rather than just doing it internally as you as a single user. In other words, in other words, just instead of making a dictionary of phrases you type and errors you correct and stuff like that, they're crowdsourcing it with machine learning and it's making an absolute mess out of things but here's my quick tip i found this out and i tried it with something i had that i tear my hair over you can go into the apple settings um if you go into the settings and um let's see if i can find it it's in your apple iphone and this same thing is probably true on android although i haven't heard that many complaints about android autocorrect you go into the settings uh keyboard and then it has an autocorrect area. You can just search your settings for autocorrect. And a lot of times what really works is you put in, you can make your own autocorrect. There, I think there's some in there by default. But you can override an autocorrect with your own autocorrect if you just put in the, um, the uh, trigger character. Like if you just type OK in lowercase, you can make it. So it autocorrects to okay uppercase, right?
1: Okay. Like or that.
0: if you type O and then you hit the K and it makes it a lowercase K because of the automatic um uh, yes. capitalization, if you type in just okay, any OK you put in become capitals. The one that drives me crazy is when I'm when I'm texting especially, I like to separate um um ideas in a sentence just with a hyphen. But I like to do space, hyphen space. It just reads real nicely. But autocorrect always backs it up to the preceding word because it thinks you're trying to make a hyphenated word
1: yeah. like <laughs> right. like yeah.
0: autocorrect. Yeah. So what I did, and I tried this today, in autocorrect I made a rule that says if you type in a hyphen, replace it with a hyphen. And that overrides the internal autocorrect. So now it's working correctly. If I type space, hyphen, space, it leaves it that way and if it's if it wants to capitalize a word you don't want capitalized or forces a capital word back to a lowercase word if you put the trigger trigger word or trigger character replacing itself it seems to default override what the autocorrect wants to do i like that yeah that's cool yeah so that's my tip you can figure that out and. um Uh, look it up on online about, uh, I, ios autocorrect and um, i hope they in uh i hope they improve it people are suggesting they scrap the whole thing and start over again it's pretty
1: <laughs> just let me have my typos
0: yeah yeah really i'll take my typos Don't thanks my
1: typos away. i
0: spend more time correcting autocorrect than i spend correcting my own typos it's amazing
1: that's that's one of the ways that we live these days which kind of brings us to the how we live and yes how we lived in 2021 aspect of our year in reboot program today um you know we talked about, like, the faster processors and the, the built-in cameras that phones and, and computers and laptops provide. Um, all of that have become that much more essential, obviously, since the pandemic began. began um, None of that uh, diminished in 2021. Zoom, video conferencing, uh, telemedicine, distance education, all of those uh, features and all of those uh, tools are as big as they've ever been and a lot of companies are adding what I call together apart features to their video conferencing tools and those are, there's a feature in Zoom and in Microsoft Teams. That puts everybody, instead of their own little wing uh, rectangle, puts everyone in like different little environments where everyone can be sitting in a theater seat or people can sit, be sitting in a virtual conference room to make it look a little bit more like we're together, even though we're apart.
0: Apart, yes.
1: And, and Apple and the latest version of FaceTime added a feature that allows, I think it's called SharePlay, which lets you do what have become known as watch parties on the Internet, where you can watch a movie or a TV show with a friend or a relative in a distant location using your device where you're both watching it and you can be commenting and chatting back and forth either with text or with, uh, with, with, with speech um, as you're both watching it. That's that kind of together apart kind of thing.
0: And you can be miles or hundreds of miles or thousands of miles apart. As long as you uh, are there, in the same, you know, at the same time, um,
1: exactly, yeah,
0: watching together, you can exp- experience it together, and then share that experience.
1: Since the uh, pandemic began, um, Toby's family, we've been watching um, a movie every night of the week. Not every night of the week, once a week, uh, we call it movie night, and Yes. it's either Saturday or Sunday night. We pick out a movie in advance. Um, We all figure out, you know, Toby figures out like where the where where you can all get where you can get it. Is it free on Netflix or is it on Amazon Prime that you can rent for three dollars and ninety nine cents? She sends out an invitation seven o'clock on Saturday night. We all connect via Zoom. We don't try to watch it with Zoom because that would be all jerky and kind of weird. But Toby goes, "Okay, ready now. Get get ready. Three, two, one. Press play."
0: Oh, right. You'd all have to sync your your press play to.
1: And they're not synchronized, obviously, down to the single video frame level, but they're close enough that we're, you know, when the movie ends, you know, the lights come up, and we can all say, "Boy, that was awful," or "That was great." And we have watched something like seventy-one movies so far since the pandemic started. Wow! And And it is really kind of together apart. And what's cool about it is that some of the folks who do who participate in this are local here. Okay, but. Toby's family lives in Southern California, and we have other friends in Seattle who join in too. So we wouldn't be go- we wouldn't be together with them anyway. Right. Yet through this together apart kind of concept, um, we, uh, we 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 can be, um, and I think that's been, you know, for better and worse, um, something that has been kind of um, it led to a mindset shift that the pandemic has created, where there what? are ways because we human beings have this need to socialize and be together and if we can't be because it's not necessarily healthy to be or if we're just too far apart then um, there are ways to approximate that experience
0: exactly exactly you know um i was i was doing some uh, a little bit of research on on developments in social media and stuff like that and i don't want to dump on facebook tonight i i just (laughs) well okay i'll turn (laughs) over to you in a minute okay my uh my joke for my joke for next year is uh Facebook starts World War Three. Mark Zuckerberg apologizes. We're sorry. <laughs> Don't laugh. Anyway, yeah. sociology—what you're talking about, Jim—is is just really becoming a thing. It's up there on on the Colbert's Thingometer. Uh, um, sociologists are studying this, and they have a name for it. It's called ambient awareness.
1: Ooh, ooh, I like that. And this this is I have all their records.
0: (laughs) You have all their records, yes, I know. I think Brian Eno was in that group. No, the 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 constant um empathy and and connection you have to everybody now because you look at their facebook page or they message you on facebook or they post a picture of the brownies they baked uh over the weekend or something like that is going on a level much more than it would have back in the analog days when you might call that person once a month or see them on the fourth of july or something like that it's going on at a much lever much More intense level, and sociologists are starting to study this and see what the uh, effects are. I mean, we know what some of the effects are, but I think it's great that they have a name for it—ambient awareness. I like that.
1: That is a really cool, really cool concept, and it's it's true, and it's not a bad thing. I mean, I've always said that you know the, the, the best uses of social networks are to stay in touch with friends and family and just share what you're up to that day you know in ways that you're right and back in the in the in the before times in the analog days you wouldn't call somebody and said hey I man made, I, made, I made amazing batch of brownies or man my car got stuck in the snow today and it was a real pain but if someone posts that and you see that and you make a comment that's there is a little thread of connectedness to that that's nice that's the nice side. That's the that's the pleasant side of uh of of of, of, of social networking. Um that, that keeping in touch. Um, there are darker sides too, yes. which we'll get to in a minute. Yes, um, there are. One big thing though, all of that stuff that we talked about, the together apart stuff, the video conferencing, the Zoom stuff, requires fast internet. Yes. And we saw some progress this last year with the gradual increase of uh, uh, the um, build-out of broadband, especially in in rural areas, and with new services becoming available, at least in beta form, like Starlink, the satellite system from, uh, from SpaceX, where the internet picture in rural areas is getting a little better, but it's still moving way too slowly, and 2022 might just be a year where that picks up in a faster pace if the infrastructure bill actually gets to happen and the broadband deployment funds get uh, get distributed we might see more uh, internet um, broadband penetration in rural areas but that was kind of a downside to all of this all of this uh, you know in part pandemic inspired or induced um, together, apart, ambient awareness stuff requires a fast internet connection. Indeed, and if you can't benefit from that, um, and if you can't—I mean, if you don't have that, then you can't benefit from the the positive aspects of that.
0: It's true. It's
1: true. Yes, um,
0: I uh, keep forgetting to sign up for Starlink. I want to do it, but I have to say, I was uh, uh, looking at a new. Um, app that's um it's like night sky it's one of those uh look at the stars at night and yeah. they showed a demo screen for satellite tracking and before it used to be there'd be one satellite here and one satellite there now it's like the whole sky is covered with these starling little starling boxes floating around and that's kind of scary that there's that much it's scary space easy. stuff up there
1: that is the dark side of, of all of that, and the concerns that people have with you know space junk as the devices burn up or, or burn out. Um, if they burn up, then there's no impact on uh, the addition to space junk. But um, but the, uh, the the potential of them breaking apart or colliding or having the you know international space station have to do an evasive maneuver to move something to to avoid something um is definitely one of the uh one of the darker sides because as there always is and as we always try to talk about on the show there are always dark sides to the positives that uh that a lot of this technology brings
0: you know, I'm afraid that's true of so many things. Um, if you want the good parts, be prepared for the, uh, you know, the, the underweight that brings all this. Yep. You know, uh, there's no free lunch and there's, there's no, um, Way to get some of these advantages we have that we enjoy so much without realizing that there's a lot of uh, a lot of costs to these things and realizing what the costs are and being able to uh, try to as intelligently and and as, um, you know, uh, uh, conscientiously addressing these things so that you can minimize your contribution to the negative side if you possibly can. I mean, I had to drive a fossil fuel burning vehicle to get over here to the station to do this show.
1: Environmental dangers of e-commerce.
0: <laughs> yeah, the environmental dangers of e-commerce. Um yeah. I want to just jump back real fast uh in time again, not 25 years, but just about 10 years and just do a quick recap if if long-term time listeners to the show remember, Jim and I used to promote a search service called scroogle do you remember scroogle
1: scroogle indeed
0: well scroogle went belly up uh uh, toes up about 10 years ago Uh, it started in uh, i think 2003 by a google critic who was able to use google's um api the thing they offer to um Programmers, uh, and scrape the results without giving your personal data to Google. And apparently Google was able to tolerate this for a little while. But finally they put the, the, um, they, they locked it down. So Scroogle went, um, out of business. But just at about the same time, DuckDuckGo came along. And, um, in, um, January of 2011, um, uh, a guy named uh, Gabriel Weinberg, for $7,000, uh, rented a um, billboard in San Francisco right by where all the Google executives and uh, tech workers uh, would drive by. This big billboard that was in San Francisco right by the freeway said, Google tracks you, we don't. Search better at DuckDuckGoGut.com. And uh, it was the launch of DuckDuckGo, and it was supposed to be a We Don't Track You uh, privacy search engine.
1: Uh-huh.
0: And now they've really done a lot in the last 10 years, and what they've just started doing now, and I will probably have to do a whole show on this in the future, they're developing a web browser like Firefox or Chrome or Safari or whatever Microsoft's one is this year, And they're building it from the ground up and it's going to be the DuckDuckGo browser. And they're building it from the ground up because they want to get rid of all the cruft that's in browsers that makes them leaky and makes them not very secure. And it's, I was just, I was stunned to find out, even as careful as I am, how much tracking goes on, especially not only with web browsing, but with the other thing you do on your computer, email. Email is just, laden with these trackers and things. You can go to a, uh, you can open an email and, you know, and just in your email client to read it and it sends your email address in a, in a, um, uh, encoded hash to like 25 advertisers just with all these trackers and, and, um, um, things that follow you and stuff like that. So DuckDuckGo is also going to start an email protection Um, by having a kind of a forwarding service and eventually they're going to offer duck.com email addresses to people which if you use it will actually um, it kind of dry cleans your email and when it arrives in your inbox DuckDuckGo will have scraped out and and removed all these tracker things uh, which I'm actually really excited about that I think that's great that's very cool. Yeah, That's so cool. I just have one quick URL. Um, Google, if you want to learn more about uh, DuckDuckGo, they have a site called DontTrack.us. and explains a whole lot about what's going on with the uh, tracking on websites and how you, Google takes your personal data. And and uh sells it around. Don't track all one word with no apostrophe dot us and that'll give you a really interesting series of cool animations they have for showing the stuff that goes on when you just use uh, a regular browser cool. and do a regular Google search or a Microsoft Bing search, any one of those big tech company searches. Sure.
1: sure. Well and you mentioned big tech, which is like kind of like a perfect segue to, <laughs> yeah. to our year and reboot segment, which is the ever increasing rise of big tech uh, that this year brought, because everyone was needing new computers so that they can do Zoom and cameras and all the rest. Um, the the kind of the big five: Apple, Google, Alphabet, Google's parent company, Apple, Google, Microsoft, Facebook now called Meta, Meta. <laughs> Amazon. Um, did better than ever before i found a a page that actually broke down how much each of those companies earns every second and if you're ready for this apple apple is the top of the list three thousand dollars per second that's 24 hours a day seven days a week
0: that's their their prop their income right
1: correct earns yes
0: earnings yes
1: it's Google, $2,200 per second, Microsoft, $2,100 per second, Facebook, $1,200 per second, and Amazon, $833 every single second. And that kind of power and that kind of impact and influence has attracted a lot of um, attention from regulators and legislators, and particularly... Um, Facebook, because um, it is very much a, a, a monopoly of a kind in the social networking, the personal se- uh, social networking space, anyway. And it was, as always, in the news this past year, and not in a very good way, um, thanks to whistleblower Francis Haugen, who leaked. Lots and lots of internal documents and studies around the ways that Facebook and and Instagram, the the Facebook photo sharing service, targets users often to their detriment, especially teenagers. She leaked one Facebook study that found that 13% of teen girls in the UK say their suicidal thoughts became more frequent after starting on Instagram. Another leaked study found that 17% of teen girls said their eating disorders got worse after using Instagram, and about 32% of teen girls said that when they felt bad about their bodies, Instagram made them feel worse. And this was all internal research that she leaked, Um, and there were congressional hearings and there were reams and reams of articles from major news outlets from the guardian to the new york times to the wall street journal all under this kind of umbrella of the facebook papers almost like a, a throwback to the pentagon papers
0: well yeah it's
1: a spotlight on the ways that facebook manipulates its users to keep them engaged and on the website there was another study that showed that Facebook gave more weight to posts where you clicked the little angry icon instead of the like or the love icon because angry emotions fire you up and keep you engaged and kept you on the site longer, which meant that you saw ads more. Uh, so... Um, there's a lot of talk, and it's actually something that is uh, uh that 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 both sides of the aisle are in agreement on ways to regulate facebook, and that's going to be something that's going to be really interesting to watch in uh in twenty twenty two
0: yeah, I'm really wondering how far they can push this stuff because uh on both sides of the aisle um, there are lobbyists. Yes. spreading buckets of those outrageous profits of those three thousand uh or what was it three thousand dollars what was apple's uh, income per second
1: three grand per second
0: three grand per second that's pretty inconceivable
1: <laughs> yeah kind of amazing
0: yeah kind of amazing um and you know those lobbyists don't uh exactly um spare the money when it comes to influencing legislation so it's it, i'm really hopeful that Something can happen to uh, raise public awareness of what's going on. I Just in the work I did um, on preparing for tonight's show, I found uh, things that were just stunning in terms of, I didn't know that was going on, you know. And the the thing about the uh, teenage girls and the suicidal urges and the um, eating disorders and stuff like that, that is the negative side of that ambient awareness. Because if you have a bunch of bullies, that are coming around you and exposing themselves to you on a daily basis, that can have a very deleterious effect on on people's mental state. And I think the fact that the, the companies, well, it isn't just Facebook. What are their other properties? Instagram, that was probably the one that was the most uh, egregious Instagram, in terms what's
1: the of… It's the messaging, uh, yeah. uh, it's app, the messaging uh, service. And a lot of those services, and that leads to our other kind of perils of tech topic of like the siloing of society, the way that, you know, so many of us kind of only visit the websites that we agree with, or read the newspaper websites that we agree with, or or, or interact with people on things like fe- Facebook, um, of people of, who are of like mind. And so there aren't, you know, opinions being exchanged and, and people talking to each other in a civil way. And that reached its crescendo at the beginning of this year when a lot of the um, rioters at the US Capitol on January 6th used social networking sites, not only Facebook, but some of the more kind of, you know, um, far-right sites like Parler to coordinate and plan and incite one another. And um, that is, that's the opposite. That's the, you're absolutely right when you say that is the flip side of the coin of ambient awareness.
0: Yeah, yeah, indeed. I know that's, uh, and um, I'm really, uh, I'm, I'm kind of um, disheartened by how slowly, the Democrats are uh, walking the uh, investigation. I think they're kind of hoping the whole thing will just go away anyway, and they won't have to worry. You know, take time out of their um, campaign fundraising. Uh,
1: Don't start with me, ah. parties
0: to uh, to actually do this. No, I mean it's it's hard to say where things are right at this. It seems like we're poised at a, a very significant uh, place, especially because of the pandemic the social isolation and the variants that are causing a lot of problems just with the functioning of society and in general you know it seems like we're being forced into spending more time online and and you know being more in an online world and you know Point and click's been around for going on 30 years. I, th- I forget what it is. It's probably up to 27 or 20, 27, I think, yeah. maybe. Uh, the, the show's been – KZYX has had a computer show of one form or another um, uh, for a while, and um, it's just been an interesting perspective to see unfurling un, uh, right uh, before our very eyes.